0: leave you hit yeah. so bad.
1: Happy New Year, everyone. Everybody's excited this morning, I can tell. Hey, if you guys uh, have any room, uh, there's a lot of room over here, everybody, if you're looking to seats. Uh, Good morning, Happy New Year. My name is Steve Van Poulen, and I get to serve on the pastoral team here at Crossroads. And uh, we're gonna take some time over these next few weeks. I think I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but maybe some of you weren't around that uh, we're gonna take some time and uh, introduce our teams to you. But first, a few announcements. I'm always gonna highlight this thing. So much good stuff going on that God's got going on at Crossroads. One of the things you don't wanna miss is the house church orientation. If you wanna know more about it or get plugged into a house church, info in here and on the screen. This coming Wednesday is our first prayer and worship night, Wednesday night of the year, I would love to pack out the upper room, which is where we uh, hold the prayer and worship night. That would be awesome uh, to get our year kicked off well, as it relates to that evening of prayer and worship. Uh, One of the things that happens at the end of every year is we have the uh, privilege of welcoming a couple new elders onto the elder team. And so you'll see that note also here in the newsletter that we have a couple of elders that are rotating off, Brandon Hurth and Gary Evans. And we have some elders that are rotating on, Brian Medalia, David Wilkins, and Doug Sport. And so if you have any questions about that, certainly let us know. But those are the things that are going on. Last quick thing I'm going to be mentioning. It's not in the newsletter because I failed to get it in there on time. Um, but God's been leading us in relationship with Monroe Community Church across the river to be praying towards the development of a Christ-centered recovery, uh, ministry. And so there's a meeting Tuesday night at Monroe Community Church. Uh, that's about that. If that pricks your heart, feel free to email me. Uh, and you'll hear more about it in the coming weeks, but that's the quick mention. All right. So while the and counseling team comes up here, I'll quick let you know, um, we have, we don't traditionally do a great job over the years of introducing our staff and the teams, the people that serve you every day. And so Since we haven't done it in a couple years, I really had the heart. uh, About a year and a half ago, our elders um, kind of rearranged our whole staff team into five individual teams. And so over the next four weeks before we have our uh, family meeting on January 29th, I've asked, uh, we're having each of the teams come up and introduce themselves a little bit more, tell you what they're doing. And so I'm going to get out of here and let them go. So we're going to have the and counseling team hit it. I love it. <laughs> well, it's kind of a weird place to start, but uh, my name is Brandon Hearth and I
0: was on the care and counseling team for a while. <laughs> I'm headed overseas, but Stephanie Tesla was not able to be here. She's sick at home. So any prayers, I'm sure she'd appreciate it. There she is for you guys to see. Um, Steph is now the lead, uh, leader of our team for Care and Counseling. She's also director of marriage. So if you've ever been to a marriage retreat, gone through the premarital curriculum here, or just sat down with her, you're well aware of what a phenomenal job she does there. Uh, yeah, that's worth a cheer, she's amazing. And I uh, would also just love to say, because I know that she would say it if, if she's up here, she loves marriage, she loves helping people. And so if you are in a spot, whether as an individual or as a married couple or as a dating couple engaged, she'd love to sit down with you. We're a church that wants to be in the game and helping people walk through things and things like marriage is difficult.
2: Perfect. Uh, my name's Matt Kenny, and uh, many of you, you may know me over the last couple of years as the director of men's ministry and I'm still doing that. Uh, I have a bit of a dual role here at Crossroads now, and so um, I get to partner with Stephanie in the area of care and counseling, and uh, our roles, uh, she's focused on marriage, I'm focused on men's, but we both have a focus on uh, working with our counseling partners here at Crossroads and working with people who... Uh, come into our community who uh, have some uh, needs, whether it's emotional or spiritual needs. They want to meet with a pastor. Uh, they want to get connected with some care. Um, and so Stephanie and I handle all of that. And uh, we also uh, are, are teaming together to work on helping to mobilize our community. So those of us in this community who have a passion for coming alongside of others, working with them, uh, whether mentoring or leading some type of healing community, um, Stephanie and I are working with that group. Um, my wife and I have been a part of Crossroads for about four and a half years now, uh, with our three kids, and uh, we love that this is a community of people who are passionate about uh, getting into our stories, about being living authentic, and about uh, being released into our community to impact our families, our friends, our neighborhoods. In our community. So uh, just love being a part of this community.
3: Hi, my name's Emily Formsma. Um, I've been attending Crossroads for a little over nine years with my husband and my kids. Um, in the past I had the opportunity to work in child welfare and my husband and I have been um, foster and adoptive parents for about 16 years. So when we started coming to Crossroads, there's a few things that kind of stood out to us that decide- we decided to make this our home. When the first being, um, the orphan is deeply loved, um, and as we've been here, our family has been incredibly supportive, and our kids um, are deeply loved and welcomed here as well. Second is, this is a church that is passionate about educating and encouraging people in their individual um, pursuit of walking in priesthood in a broken world, and so with my experience in walking with people in some really hard places, it's been a privilege to be able to work here on staff. Um, for the last two years. Started as Brandon's assistant, um, and then recently this last year just transitioned into um, doing needs-based assistance for individuals within the church, but also people from our neighborhood. Um, It's a huge blessing to be able to enter into some really hard places with people and be able to speak some peace into the chaos of what they're experiencing. Crossroads being in the city, some of our neighbors are experiencing some really great need. Um, on a weekly basis, I'm able to work with churches from the communities as well as organizations to, to meet the felt-based needs of the people who come through our door. We have multiple people um, from our neighborhood who enter through our doors every week, um, and it's a huge privilege to be able to dive into relationship with them. God's doing some amazing things through those relationships, and it's just such a huge privilege and a unique opportunity to be able to speak the gospel into um, the just difficult circumstances that they're experiencing so if you are um, if you at some point are finding yourself in need yourself um, we would love to have you reach out to us but um, also we are in need of people who would love to give financial counsel as well as just being willing to enter into a caregiving role with people who are experiencing need Um, if you're interested in doing that please reach out to me Hi, my name is Jean Balance, and my family has been attending Crossroads just over two years. Um, I am the administrative partner for the Care and Counseling Team, which means that I have the privilege of assisting Stephanie, Matt, Emily, and Christina. Um, I also am in charge of the prayer and the meals ministries, so if you or someone you know is in need of prayer or if you need a meal, or if you know somebody who is in need of a meal, or if you would like to be on the
4: Meals Ministry team, um, I just ask that you reach out to me. Hi, I'm Christina Gozo and I get to work with the families here that have fostered and, or that have adopted. Um, my husband and I have been here for about 14 years now, and 10 years ago we were called into our foster care and in ele- like eventually into adoption. Um, At the time, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into because you don't ever. But um, seven years ago, I was asked to step into this role in supporting these families. And our church leadership has blessed our ministry. The Lord has blessed our ministry abundantly. And so my desire, our desire as a ministry is to support any family here who has fostered or is, has adopted to support families who are like, hey, that might be something I might be interested in. And part of my role is to coordinate the help from the general church body into those families. So if you don't feel called to bring a child into your home but you are being called to care for those families and those children, you can reach out to me. So the other thing I'm supposed to share is that this is our team for you. This is the care and counseling team for our church body. So if you guys have any need whatsoever, we love serving you guys. We pray for you. If there's a need and we know about it, we are praying for you guys. We are doing everything within our ability to support you. So please do not hesitate to reach out to our team. Thanks.
0: Awesome. So uh, this is the GO team here, or the missions team. And I'm going to hesitate to say too much because I think they want to share what we're up to. And you guys probably see some of us more than others, which is um, too bad for you, I guess. But uh, I want to hijack this a little bit just to say you guys are so generous. Uh, as you know, the last month we've been raising support for Brandon and for Cure and uh, New City Kids. And like we're still counting. We're like at $72,000 for our year-end giving. Thank you guys so much, and uh, we're, we're stoked. To, thank you, we're uh, excited, and really that's what we're here for, is to help you guys use your gifts and your resources to connect to kingdom work locally and globally. So Jared, tell us more about that.
5: Um, I forgot to get the memo about the shirt, so I will uh, <laughs> keep my shirt on. Um. But all that to say, my name's Jeremiah Wiseman. Yes, they got the On Missions t-shirts. So anyway, all that to say, my name's Jeremiah Wiseman. I get to oversee the city missions here, which I love. And really a big part of that is just getting in touch with what God's doing in the city through the organizations and people. And a lot of it is people here, right here in our community that are connected with many different organizations or in your neighborhood or your workplace, and so our theme verse, is one of them is 1 Peter 2.9, that kingdom of priests. And so as Matt shared, as we are all going out each week, we're a 90-10 church, 90% of life happens Monday through Saturday, even more than that than Sunday morning. And so how do we be a, a team that encourages, equips, and supports the, the vision, the passion that people have right here in our community, what God wants to do here in the city? So it's a joy and a privilege, really, to be in a church that loves the lost and loves this city so well. So I'm just thankful to be a part of this team.
6: Hi, everyone. I'm Brittany Cook. I'm the missions team intern. And one thing I love about being a part of just this staff in general is that we take a lot of our values from Scripture. And the missions team, specifically, we take our values from Micah 6.8, which says he has shown you what is good and what does he require to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And as a team, we take almost like everything we do from that verse. And then what I do specifically on the team is a lot of organization and a lot of coordinating of all the classes and events that we can put on for you guys throughout the year. So we're really excited about all the things that are coming up in 2020 and yeah, be on the lookout for that.
7: Hi, guys, I'm Bethany Hicks. I'm the last one, I promise. I'll give you guys some love because I feel like you haven't been looked at yet. Um, (laughs) So, good morning. I am the director of community school engagement here. So, I have probably the coolest job ever um, because I get to be in the local public schools every day. Um, I get to basically be a bridge between you guys and the schools and just plug you in, whether it be mentoring. I have a ton of people who come and encourage teachers, bring meals, do events. Anytime I put out a word, there's like 50 people that want to help, and it's amazing. So, um, I want to thank you guys because this first six months being in this job has been astounding to see what all you guys are doing. Um, I just get to join in and guide everyone, and that is so fun. So we had over 50 people helping out at the attendance celebration. We had, I think, 250 coats that were donated for those kids. Kids are warm right now because of you. Um, The mentoring program has grown immensely, and if you guys want to mentor, please find me, email me. There's always kids that need to be mentored. But really just a huge thank you because you guys are bringing shalom to chaos you guys are um like like brittany was saying in micah 6 8 you guys are walking and showing justice and mercy and love every single day throughout you do at the schools so um i want to thank you guys for that and now we're gonna actually um stand have a time of just welcoming each other say good morning say hi shake a hand and then stay standing Okay, if you guys wanna stay standing, finish up your greetings, stay standing with me. Um, there's gonna be a verse on the screen that I'd like to read to just invite our hearts to focus on worship and um, just on the goodness of God. So um, Psalm 107 says, let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things.
0: You give life, You are love, You bring light to the darkness, You are hope, You restore every heart. 34 6 says this the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. this morning believing in who you are believing that your goodness has rescued and restored renewed us God so we give this morning to you give our hearts to you today his name we pray together amen Amen. you can have a seat
8: well happy new year Crossroads we ready for this or not Come on now, that's what I'm talking about. We have the mikvah bowls up here. We're going to be having them up here for the whole month of January. Um, Is there rhyme or reason to that? Yeah, um, it it, it was just a gut in light of what we're going to be looking at. Uh, Mikvah, from our end of things, our part in this whole equation of being a Christ follower us in relationship with God, God in relationship with us, is the single most important thing we can do. Because mikvah is simply a symbol of that important thing, which is repentance. And I know I've said this a lot in the last couple of years because I've had an epiphany in my own life in regards to repentance. I always looked at repentance as something that would bring me back to a God that I let down and disappointed, not realizing that repentance is the way that we experience the love of a good, good father. Uh, It's simply turning from ourselves, turning from things in our life that we know we need to turn from, thoughts, actions, um, idols, illicit, loves um, and simply turning back to a God that when he sees us, Jesus says he runs to us, puts his arms around us. And so at any time, when I'm teaching, preaching, any time in the gathering uh, next month, if that is something that you wanna do, please just uh, make your way up front. And why do we have it up front? Why do we um, have these bowls Um, because in the bible repentance is a public thing people turn to christ in a public way in a public way they fell at his feet and uh mikvah is simply coming this water represents his blood and it's washing our hands our heart our head our mouth our eyes our feet whatever it is that we and then it's recommitting our had our heart and our feet to him so okay also I think it's a good time to uh, reflect on our theme verse for this year anybody remember it glad Jeremiah remembered last year's anybody know this year's it's all right you're gonna learn it you'll get this you're capable of it I'm not looking at a bunch of spectators. I'm looking at a bunch of people that are on the football field and want to play the game. First Peter 2, verse 6. Let's look at it. I think I have it on PowerPoint. If anyone is, claims to be in Christ, it's probably not that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it for you. If anyone claims to be in Christ, he or she must walk as Jesus walked pretty bold statement. Walk is discipleship language. A disciple is simply someone who learns to walk like Jesus. And this is why we spent much of the year studying the Sermon on the Mount, um, which I hope we never put the Sermon on the, sermon on the Mount in, in our rearview mirror. It always needs to be before us because nothing, in my opinion, spells out how Jesus walked or how we are to walk like him more than the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, as we learned, it's it's not a new path, it's it's not a new way to walk, it's the ancient path. And and the ancient path is this book, it's God's word, because God's people believe that when the Messiah would come, he wouldn't create a new religion, but that when when he came, he would properly explain to us the book and show us how to walk the book out and sadly too much of christianity today goes around the book in fact when i i teach in contexts outside of crossroads or just interact with uh the people in my world whether they're churched or unchurched um, i'm just still quite a bit shocked at how people don't know the book anymore. They don't know it. And I don't know why this is. I don't know if it's just because the book is intimidating, people think that they can't read it and understand it for themselves, or if it's just pure laziness, or if we believe that the Holy Spirit, since he's come, he's kind of made the book obsolete. But that is, is crazy thought because the the spirit inspired the book the spirit wrote the book the spirit <laughs> works through the book to change us and i know i'm stating the obvious when i say this but i still want to say it anyway we right now are living in a world at war at war and it's always been that way it's it, it's nothing nothing new and but and, but the war isn't oftentimes what we think it is. The war is, I think, what the apostle Paul says it's not a battle against flesh and blood, it's a battle against the the powers and the principalities of this dark world and this is why Paul speaks about how important it is for Christians to put on the full armor of god and and in that armor there's Everything is defensive, but there's one offensive thing that we as believers have as we engage this battle. And it's the sword of the Spirit, which Paul says is the word of God. And I love to just think about this, that God actually wrote a book. (laughs) That God partnered with humanity to write this book. Then he became flesh and blood human in Christ to explain the book and to show us how to walk it out. Then he sent the spirit to us to open the eyes of our heart that we could, when we read the book, could understand the book and be changed by the book. Why am I saying all this? Well, a month ago I was in Israel and we did something on this trip that I've never done in my previous trips, is that this year when we hit the Jewish Sabbath, Uh, We literally participated in the Sabbath for for 24 hours. When the sun sets, the Sabbath begins. And we did what that world does. That world, on the same Bible reading schedule called the Torah portion, um, the whole, whether you're a Jew in in, in China or Tokyo or New York or Paris, uh, every Jew is reading through the Bible the same stuff at the same time, and then on Sabbath, you discuss it. We did that. It was amazing. And it just showed me that when we stop and step away and collectively gather around the book to digest it, that it changes lives, and, and there was one guy on our trip, and you have to understand, this trip that I do, I do trips for our church, which are my favorite, but I also do trips for, let's just say, people that are maybe a little less churched, or unchurched, and a bit raw, and uh, I get to see how the gospel is the most potent thing in the world. What we have in Christ is just unbelievable. And there was, there was one guy on, on, on this particular trip who had uh, had his whole life destroyed by alcoholism, uh, several marriages and all of that, but three years ago came to Christ, and he said something to me. He said, I said, what keeps you from alcohol? He said, you want my simple answer? He says, every day I read three chapters of the Bible. He goes, it's food to me. And he said the day, he says the moment I stop reading the book is is when I know I'm gonna be vulnerable to go back to my disease. And this book is not for pastors. It's for all of us. Let's take it up, let's read it. And for this month, I have a reading schedule for you. Uh, Let's read the book of Deuteronomy. Let's dive into it. Crossroads, take hold of that. Seize that challenge. Each week, let's read eight to nine chapters. We can do that, okay? That's our reading plan uh, for the month of January. Um, Okay, now, I'll be the first to say the book isn't always easy to read, especially when it instructs us on how to live and, and, and how to walk which is why even in, in Jesus' day, God's people are asking, is, is, is there a commandment, a greatest commandment that explains all these other commands that, that God gives to us? And their sages all pretty much agreed and said, yes, there is one. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4, or Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and I'm sure we all know this as well, but it's called the Shema because Shema um, is the word, Hebrew word for here, and it begins with the word here. Hear, hear o Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one or the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I don't know if you know this, but every devout Jew, going back to the time of Jesus up until present day, the first thing they do when they wake up is they declare aloud the Shema. And this becomes then the commitment of of, of their heart throughout the day, because as they say this, as they pray this, they believe that the kingdom of God is going to explode in and explode out of their lives as they seek to live this every hour of the day, which is why they begin their day saying this aloud, and they end the day by saying the Shema aloud. This is why the Shema, to this day, is the central defining characteristic of every devout Jew. It's central to their calling. It's central to their identity. It's, it, it's the essence of what a Jew would say, this is what it means for us to belong to to God and to be in relationship with him. And you say, well that's Jewish, we're Christian. Well look at what Jesus says in Matthew 22. And I do have this on PowerPoint. They came to him, they said, Rabbi, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he said a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on this, the whole Bible hangs. Paul, you see it in his writings. Places like Galatians 5, Romans 13. The didache, something that doesn't get the attention that it deserves. Uh, didache, we uh, were well, the subtitle of the Didache, the Lord's teachings by the apostles to the Gentiles, something that was written already in the first century, um, possibly by the disciples of Jesus themselves, this is how the Didache begins. There are two ways to live, one of life, one of death, and there's a great difference between the two ways The way of life is this. First, you shall love the Lord your God who made you. Secondly, thy neighbor as thyself, and whatsoever thou would do, have done to thyself, do not thou to another. The early church made Shema the starting point. It made it the core essence of what it means to be a Christian. It has to be, because Christ said it, was this way. The apostles are saying the same thing. And I hear so many people today saying, you know, this Christianity thing, it, it, it really isn't working. And I hear people proposing that, that maybe we just need to repackage it, or maybe we need to reinvent it, or, or maybe we need to just make it conform better to, to the ways of our world, to make it more relevant. I say, no, we don't. We need to recapture it. We need to rediscover the ancient path and the essence of the ancient path is Shema. So that's what we're gonna do this month is we're going to look at Shema, we're gonna unpack Shema, hopefully through this we're gonna recapture it for our lives so we can live Shema. So let's start with the context in which the Shema is given. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the final book of Torah. Torah are the first five books in our Bible, the books of Moses. And what Deuteronomy is, it's a series of sermons or speeches preached by God through Moses to God's people right before Moses is about to die and right before God's people are about to enter the Promised Land. And just think about the context. God delivered his people from Egypt, and then they're in the desert for 40 years, knowing that's not the destination, that they're going to promised land, but they have to wait and wait and wait. Feel the sense of anticipation. Now they are about ready to enter the land, and right before they do, Moses, God through Moses, gives him the words of Deuteronomy. Let me say something about promised land. Promised land is more than just a land flowing with milk and honey. Promised land is God's people finally entering their calling. And what is that calling? Well, it was last year's theme verse. You're a chosen people, holy nation. God's special possession, declaring the praises of God of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's their calling. That's our calling. God doesn't just call us out of darkness. He doesn't just call us out of our Egypts. He also calls every single one of us into something great. Whatever that call is in your life, that's your promised land. And I think so often we think of promised land as, as some other worldly place that we call heaven, or, or as the hymn writer says in the sweet by and by, uh, that is not the biblical conception of promised land. Promised land is actually this world. It's in the here and now where you and I live out the call of God that he has placed on our life to essentially be what Jeremiah said this morning, to be a a nation of priests who are putting him on display for the world to see, uh, bringing shalom to chaos. So whatever that call is, it's your promised land. And yeah, it will be a land flowing with milk and honey. Because living in the call of God and living out the call of God is the greatest thing there is. Now, Deuteronomy then is essentially God's people are in the locker room about to play the biggest game of their life, which is entering the land and living out their call. And God is like the coach, giving them this last pep talk. This is who you are, this is what I made you to be, and this is what you are to go and do as I put you in that place. And at the heart of this book, Shema, hero Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Just think about this. 40 years leading up to this, Israel's been isolated from the world. And now God is going to plunge them, literally right in the center of the world. And the ancient world that they were going to be plunged into was a polytheistic world, which means all kinds of gods. A God for everything under the sun, everything beyond the sun, a God for prosperity, a God for sports, a God for pleasure, a God for home life, a God for work life, a God for, for, for everything. And what they did is they identified these gods with an idol, um, a statue to this god. Sometimes they'd be those big idols that would be in the temples where the god lived or sometimes they'd be these little clay figurines uh, that they'd carry around in, in, in their back pocket. This is what a polytheistic world does, is it compartmentalizes all of life. And then for each compartment, there is a god, or a demon, or a good luck charm, that needs to be appeased. So you get the god's favor in that area. Now if you think this sounds a little bit backwards, the ancients, I think, understood something that we moderns have forgotten. And that's this, that there is a spiritual power really behind everything. Money isn't just money, sex isn't just sex, food isn't just food, sport isn't just sport. I mean, see the ancients understood that, that these things that we taste and that we touch and that we look at and that we pursue, that they are supercharged with power. So career, money, possessions, comfort, status, power, food, social media, sex, beauty, boyfriend, girlfriend, pleasure, football games, popularity, homes, cars, all these things can have massive power over us. The ancient would say these essentially can become gods that we worship. See, even though we don't carry around clay figurines or little wood statues, I don't think we're that much different. We all have our idols. And I think like the ancients too, we we compartmentalize, and and we have different gods for the different areas uh, of life, those different spheres. In many ways, we are practical polytheists, I mean, in the, in, in, in the compartment of, of the marketplace, we still trust that bull. Think about that big bull outside of, uh, outside of Wall Street. It's a God we worship. In the compartment of the state, uh, we still trust in the gods of parties and presidents. In other compartments, we trust the gods of self-help. In, in other compartments, we trust the gods of, of, of health and medicine. And here's what shatters all of these compartments. Shema. The Lord is God, the Lord is one. Now the Lord is one carries this this sense of only or solely. It's the confession that there is only one God who is over every compartment, every sphere of life, that nothing falls outside his lordship. that's why when you start reading the first five books of the Bible and you, and, and you come to all these laws and you're kind of like, wait, what, what are these things doing here? I mean, they almost seem crazy to us. I mean, one verse will deal with how you're to approach the temple. Another verse will, will deal with what you're supposed to do if your ox falls into a pit. Um, a, a, another verse will deal with how to handle the mildew in the kitchen or, or, or how to treat your menstrual cycle if you're a female. Um, and you're like, what, what is this doing in our Bibles? Well, what, what Torah is teaching is that every sphere of life, it all is significant to God and every aspect of life is to come under his lordship, all of it. that he is to be the Lord when I rise, he is to be the Lord when I lie down, he's the Lord when I go to church on Sundays, he's the Lord of my Monday when I go to work, he's the Lord of my weekend, he's the Lord of my public life, he's the Lord of my private life, he's the Lord over my home, he's the Lord over my work, he's the Lord of my school, he's the Lord over my pleasure, he's the Lord over my ministry, sports, relationships, time, possessions, talents. He is Lord, Lord of everything. Can you say that today? I think that is a great thing to think about on the first Sunday of a new year. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of every area of my life? That is the claim of Shema. The Lord is God. The Lord alone. And see, this is why the first word of Shema is Shema. In Hebrew, Shema is the word hear. This is something we have to hear with our ears. But even more than just hearing it with our ears, Shema also means to obey. And we have this in our English. I, I, I experienced this as a parent all the time when my kids were younger. I would constantly say to them, did you, did you hear me? Or are you listening to me? What am I really asking? Would you obey me? Shema Israel, obey Israel. And what is obedience to the one who deserves it, who is Lord over everything? Because obedience is our most appropriate response to the Lord. It's to love God with all our heart, all our soul, with all our might. That's what I wanna look at just for the remainder of this morning is what does it mean to love God with all of our heart? Let's start with this word heart, because the ancients like us saw the heart as this physical organ in our chest that sustains all of physical life. They also like us saw um, the heart to be the place where, where we feel things where our emotions are, our desires, our, our, our wants, uh, they're all birthed there, they're all expressed. Uh, right here, right? This, this, this is where we emote and feel and, and, and express those feelings, it's, it, it's here. In fact, the Bible is, is, is the first to come up with, with this picture or metaphor of a broken heart. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Uh, David in Psalm 51 says, God, you do not desire in burn offerings or sacrifices. What, what you desire is a broken and a contrite heart. See, this is where our understanding of heart and the biblical understanding of heart stops because in Hebrew... And this word, by the way, in Hebrew is the word levav, or the short form of it is simply lev. Lev or levav is, is, is also your thoughts. It's, it's your mind, it, it, it's your intellect. It, it's, it's where cognition takes place. And I know this is crazy to us because we place cognition up here in the brain. But the ancient had no conception of the brain. They don't even have a word for mind. All your thinking takes place in your heart. That's why in the, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you don't know with your mind, you, you, you know with your heart, with your lavav. In, in Proverbs uh, this book up that speaks of wisdom, it, it consistently says that, that, that wisdom dwells in one's heart. Something to think about. The heart, also, according to the Bible, is the place of our will, our intentions, it, 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 it's where we make choices. And what the Bible over and over again is it connects our choices to our desires. How often does it say things like, and Israel went after the desires of her heart? So heart to us is just a part of us, but to the ancient, a heart is all of you. It's what makes you a you. It's the physical organ that sustains your physicality. It's where you feel emotions. It's it's the home of your desires, your affections. It, it, it's the place where you think and you, you reason, where you discern. It's the center of all human existence. This is why the Bible says, guard your hearts, for from it flows all of life. Now feel the magnitude of that verse in light of what the heart is biblically. This isn't just an injunction to to guard our feelings, but it's also we are to guard our thoughts, our desires, our choices, because these things all collectively can become such a force for such good or evil. Now, Jeremiah even ups the stakes even more in regards to heart because he says the heart is what is most broken in the entire world, the human heart. In Jeremiah 17, verse nine, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, beyond cure. Who can understand it? Heart is so broken. I mean, think about how broken our desires are. Think about how broken our, our emotions are. Think about how broken our, our, our choices are. Think about how broken our, our, our thought life is. And, and, and then as a result of all of this, how broken we are, and then as a result of that, if you want to know why our world is so broken, it's because of the heart. The heart's broken. So when God says, love me with, with all of your heart, God is not just saying, love me with, with, with a part of you um, or, or even your feelings, your emotions and desires, but God is saying, I also want you to love me with your thoughts, I want you to love me with your choices, I want you to love me with everything that makes you, you. Every part of you, God says, love me. Do we? It's another great question to ask on this first Sunday of the new year. Do we love God with every, with all that we are? And see, sometimes I know in my life I, I can love God with my feelings. Oh, I can feel God sometimes. I can experience God. But then simultaneously the choices I'm making are so selfish and it's like, oh, but I'm loving God with my feelings, but I'm not loving God with my choices. Or sometimes I can love God with my choices or, or so think that I am and, and not love him with, with my thoughts or my intellect. And then a lot of people will say this, and I myself have said it at times too, that the heart is just what it is. Like you can't help what it is that you love. The heart is just going to be what it is. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says no, our, our loves need to be shaped. That we can't be passive in this, we need to be proactive. That's why the Bible is constantly saying to us, set your hearts on this and not that, and seek with all your heart this, but not that. Pursue and go after. And God's at the center of what the Bible tells us to set our heart on and what we're to seek and go after. Even when it says David is a man after my own heart, that doesn't mean that David had a heart like God. It means David's heart was going After God's heart. Because here's what happens. What we actually set our heart on will actually fuel our love. It will fuel our desires. It will fuel our thoughts, our affections, what we seek, what we pursue, what we live for. It's going to affect everything our choices. See, this is why the Bible too, both New Testament and Old Testament, speak about idolatry all the time as the main problem, because idolatry in the Bible is not just this peripheral thing, it, 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 it's the core problem. And what is idolatry? Idolatry is, is, is anything that we make that becomes a substitute for God. It's, it's, it's something other than God that we set our heart on to get our sense of worth. It, it's anything other than God that we depend on for our long-term happiness, satisfaction, security. It's anything that we love and pursue more than God or at the expense of God. And ask yourself, what's the Holy Spirit right now putting on your heart? What's he putting his finger on? And see, this is why idolatry is such a big deal, because there are such consequences. The Bible tells us that we actually become what we love. We we become what we worship. We, We literally become its slave. So whoever seeks pleasure, they're going to be controlled by pleasure. Whoever seeks money, they're going to be controlled by money. Whoever seeks sex will be controlled by sex. Whoever seeks power will be controlled by power. Whoever seeks beauty, they're gonna be controlled by it. We're not in control as much as we would like to think. And see, this is why the Bible talks about, I mean, this is quite a picture if if you ask me, circumcision of the heart. That's quite a picture. What the Bible is talking about there is all this stuff that's in our hearts, that's sick, that's wrong, needs to be cut out. What in your heart right now needs to be cut out? Because this isn't a game. We're talking about the heart and what the heart is to the human body. Think about how important it is for us to have a healthy heart. This is life and death stuff. What are you feeding your heart? What are you feeding your mind? What are you feeding your desires, your feelings? We love to nurture our feelings, our hurt. We love to feed our bitterness. We love to nurse our anger, our unforgiveness. Or how about this thought from Jesus? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where we place our treasure, Where we place our money, where we place our time, where we place our talents, our heart's just going to follow. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? I'd like to end with this. The first time love is used in the Bible is this significant. It's, It's true about all the... We had, a, um, we had a rabbi on our last trip uh, because this rabbi is actually going to seminary. He's not a Christian, but he's so intrigued with the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaHodesh. And, and he, he was on, on our Israel trip. And um, <laughs> now I can't even remember why I brought him up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he said first usage of the word in the Bible is, is hugely significant. And I always knew that, but it's always fun to hear that from, from, from someone like, like him. And the first time love is used in our Bible, does anybody know? It's in Genesis 22, when God says to Abraham, Abraham, would you take the son whom you love and offer him as a sacrifice? In other words, what God is saying to Abraham Abraham, do you love me even more than your own son? Abraham's response. (laughs) Hanani. Hanani is a word all over our Bible that literally means, I am in total allegiance to you. I am completely bound to you. Whatever you ask, I will do which is why the next verse after next clause after Henani is early the next morning Abraham got up with his son Isaac and set out for the mountain that God asked him to go. My question every time I read this story how could Abraham do this? What is it that actually got Abraham up the mountain? the place where God had asked him to sacrifice his son. And when I I, I see unbelievable faith, I mean, there's the part in the narrative where the whole narrative slows down, and it says, and Abraham and Isaac walk together. And Abraham says to Isaac, son, and Isaac says back to his dad, Hanani, dad. And Isaac says to his father, Dad? And Dad says back to Isaac, Hanani. It's like they're both in total solidarity, totally bound together. And the question that Isaac asks is, Dad, we have everything for the sacrifice, but where's the lamb? And to put myself in that father's shoes in that moment. I mean, Abraham's whole life has gone dark, he can't see. But he says to his son, Isaac, he says, God will see to it. I can't see right now, but God will see to it, son. Faith, hope, he had hope. I mean, literally, it's, it's, it's in the text where, where, where in, in Hebrews, describing this, Abraham hoped in the resurrection. And and it's in the narrative itself because Abraham gets to that last leg of the journey and he says, servants, you stay back. It's now Isaac and me. And he says, we're going up that mountain and we are coming back. It's like, he knows, even if God makes him go through with this, there will be a resurrection. He has amazing hope. But what most got Abraham up that mountain is love. He loved God too much. Abraham could not not do what God asked. Even when it made no sense to him, he kept walking. And he was willing to give up what he loved most because Abraham loved God even more. You know what God says to him when this ordeal is over? Now I know, Abraham, that you love me because you did not withhold your only son. That's what it means to love God with all our heart. And you know why we can? Because God would never ask us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. The reason why God says don't lie is because God could never lie. The reason why God says don't kill someone is because God could never kill someone. The reason why God says love me, with all of your heart is because God loves us with all of his heart. As Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his all, he loves us with all his heart. And so many times in life, like Abraham at the beginning of this, it it looks like this is all about Abraham and, and, and how much Abraham loves God. But by the time you get to the end of this whole ordeal, you realize this isn't so much about Abraham and his love for God. It's about God and his love for Abraham. Do you realize how good God is? Do you realize how much he loves you? Do you realize how he is orchestrating everything in heaven on earth for your good right now? This is why Jesus said, only, only the Father is good. And he is a good, good Father. And we are made to know this Father. We are made to live in the arms of this Father. We are made to love this Father with everything that we have, which means that all of our idols, what are really our functional Lord and saviors, they'll never save us. They're never gonna ultimately satisfy us. They're never gonna deliver on what they promise. They'll never love us back. They'll never die for us. And in the end, we only lose them. So why not give them up, and let go of them, and give your heart, all of it, to a God who just loves you? And you know how you experience the love of this Father? Give up, lay down, and turn, and return to Him. God, this morning, as we start this new year, May we all take inventory of our hearts. And God, would you cause our hearts to repent, to turn, to seek you with everything we have. And God, if you are putting your finger on specific things in our life right now, God, God, let us not hang on to those things. God, let us let them go and get to you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Let's stand together. Let's sing about his goodness. Amazing love that welcomes me. The kindness of mercy That bought with blood Wholeheartedly My soul undeserving God, you're so good Oh God, you're so good God, you're so good, you're so. Lord, I will remember yeah. what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. So we sing, and God, you're so good, yes, God, you're so good.
8: Let uh, the community have the last word. Let's just pray out our. Thank you. Pray it out. Whatever's on your heart. God, that really, that prayer sums it up. None of us deserve you. And God, if we feel entitled to you, would you root that out of our hearts? We do not deserve you. And yet, in light of that, you don't just give us a part of yourself. You give us all of yourself. You love us with all of your heart. And that is more than just your feelings, your affections, your emotions, but it includes your thoughts and your choices, your intentions. For some reason, God, they are all for us. In Christ, we see it, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Hey, before we go out, because we gather in, now we go out to the playing field, right, where we engage the war, living out our call. Um, There is someone in our church who is living out the call of God in such heroic ways. Would you just take a seat? Put your eyes on one of these videos. Uh, Her name is Annie Ostrander. Come on up here, Annie. (laughs) You guys, this is Annie Ostrander. Annie. Hey. We'd love to pray for you. Um, Thank you. Anything, though, you'd like to say?
6: Uh, Yeah, I mentioned a little bit in the video, but the most exciting thing we're working on right now is translating uh, an audio Bible into the heart language of an unreached people group. And um, yeah, I just wanna say something special. Just a couple days ago, uh, Nidal, one of their translators, uh, he forwarded to me, Twenty-six messages of people who, sorry, of said of uh, like sharing with us how much the audio Bible is changing their lives because they're able to hear the gospel in their language. So praise God!
8: Isn't that amazing?
6: Um, yeah. So I have a table in the back, but also at 11.15, I'll be giving an update for everyone who wants to hear, uh, or Thursday at seven.
8: It's amazing, and Annie, uh, your family loves you so much. We're behind you, praying for you, and let me pray for you, and then why don't you end by praying for us. God, I just pray all of your favor upon Annie, your protection, God, your Holy Spirit, Uh, God, thank you that you're a good shepherd who is going before Annie. And God, what a beautiful life we see in someone who is walking after you and showing us who Jesus is and how Jesus walked. And God, would you continue, Lord, to bless her in, in all that she is giving her heart to, especially this translation as we talk this morning, your word the very words of God are what change us and transform us. And thank you, God, that this is getting into the language of a people group and lives are already be changed. We, are, we bless your name.
6: And dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church. Lord, I pray that you would just bless this church, continue to bless this church to be a blessing to the nations. I thank you so much for our Pastor Rod and for everyone on staff here. And I just thank you for everyone in this congregation and all the wonderful ways that you are at work in their lives. So I just pray that you would continue to bless their ministries, bless their family life, Lord. Um, And we just pray that you would be glorified, Lord Jesus, in all of our lives and and how we live our lives, Lord, that we would have boldness to share with you, Lord, um, to share with people about who you are, Lord. So we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ.
8: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody.